And uh, welcome again as we bring to completion a mini-series entitled Habits for Wholeness. Whether you're here with us in the sanctuary, also worshiping online, it's a real privilege uh, to be together as we begin this new year. I'm going to just offer a word of prayer over our text and then we begin. Father, would you be our teacher this morning and as we look ahead to this year, uh, there's much that we don't know, of course, in uh, culture and economics and politics and our own personal lives, but we do know this, you've called us to be the light of the world and shine as people of hope. So would you equip us toward that end this morning and we'll thank you as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we keep matches readily available at our house because where we live, uh, 53 miles east of here, the power goes out on a fairly regular basis. One time it was out for five days. Uh, many people suggest that we get a generator. We've so far resisted doing so, believing that uh, God is trying to teach us something perhaps during power outages about a simpler time, right? And so we don't... Uh, we don't do that. Instead, uh, when, when the lights go out, and they often, it seems, go out at night, it's pitch black, and then the very first thing we do is we light a match, and then as soon as we light a match, there are candles on the table and such. We find the candle. We'll light two or three candles, and then with that light, we'll use those lights to light a few other candles and then if we're really in a, you know, technological mood, we'll find a battery lit light and light up the living room and then go on with our lives, cooking on the wood stove and that kind of thing. But that moment of lighting the match is significant because as soon as that match is lit, the light in a very powerful way, just that small amount of light dispels the darkness. And I want you to keep that uh, imagery in mind as we look at uh, our conclusion to our series, Habits of Wholeness, because God's desire has always been to have a people of light living in this world whose lives live, uh, are lived out in distinction to the prevailing empires and cultures and ideologies. In other words, that we would shine as light in the midst of darkness, and at their best, when God spoke to the nation of Israel... God's desire was that they would display justice and mercy and hospitality and generosity and, and profound covenant relationships with one another. And of course, it's the same for us because in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul is articulating our calling to live as people of hope. And he says, live as people of hope to the end that you might shine as light in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. So there's this call to distinct living. And in the case of Israel, the first step to becoming that testimony of light was occupying the land, right? This is, this is the book of Joshua. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. They need to occupy the land. Now, you and I, in our 21st century lens, may have many questions about the merits of God's strategy of occupation. I understand that, but I want to set that aside for a minute, and I want you to know there's no question because of the text that we just read that conquering the land, and per, just pretend for a moment that this area right here around the guitar is the promised land, right? Conquering the land is a picture for us of our own maturity and growth in Christ, conquering the, the terrain that is my soul, right? My soul is filled with all kinds of things 
that, that need to be either removed or redeemed or transformed. And in Hebrews 3, uh, the author says, look, the children of Israel began the journey. They put blood on the door. In other words, uh, they had this act of faith looking to the blood of the lamb to redeem them. They passed through the waters of baptism uh, in the Red Sea. It's all a picture of salvation for us. But though they put blood on the door, though they had faith, though they began the journey, they, they never really lived the life for which they were created. They never entered the land. They, they fell short. So you can start the journey and not finish. And he, the whole book of Hebrews is about that subject. Make sure if you begin, make sure you finish. Now to finish, you need to kind of go into the land that is your soul and conquer the terrain of your heart. In other words, just as enemies, quote unquote, needed to be displaced from the land, so also there's stuff in my soul and yours that needs to be removed as a means of making space to receive from God. What kind of stuff needs to be removed? Well, you know, lies believed, self-medicating habits, distractions that are insulating us from the truth of our identity in Christ, uh, cultural narratives uh, of success that say, you are your net worth, you are your body image, you are your intellect, you are your job, you are your housing. Like, we've got to be free from a lot of stuff, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of lust, a lot of bitterness. It's a lifelong project. And by the way, in the Old Testament, when Israel goes into the land, God says in Exodus 23, don't think that this conquer of the land happens like this. Boom, done. He says, I'm going to, the, the, the enemies are going to be displaced Little by little, slowly, ongoing journey. That's why Paul writes in Philippians uh, uh, chapter 3, I'm not done growing. At the end of his life, he says, God is still conquering terrain in my heart, right? So we're on this journey, and we're, we're invoked by the author of Hebrews, as we just read. We're invoked to be diligent to enter what is not called in Hebrews land, but to enter rest. We're called to enter rest. So that's our calling. That place of maturity is a place of rest. And last week, in the beginning of this series, Habits for Wholeness, we saw that the, the, the transformative process that God is doing in us is God's work, not ours. God changes us, but it falls to us to create the conditions for the work of God, right? In the same way that uh, if you do gardening here in the room, you don't grow a plant, but you create the conditions of soil in which a plant can grow. Same thing, right? So, so we're responsible for the conditions of the soil that is our souls. And, and those conditions are created by our habits. Uh, and we saw last week that God has created both humans and creation to be ruled by habits. We saw the habits of the seasons, the habits of new life, the habits of morning and evening and, 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 and creation. And then in our own lives, uh, we see habits as we look at uh, God creating festivals for the nation of Israel and uh, Sabbath and habits of generosity. Jesus picks up on these habits. Paul picks up on these habits, develops them. The foundational habit that we saw last week is the habit of rest, right? Because rest begins to create space in our lives for God to speak to us. I've got to kind of clear the deck so that God can 
speak to me and I can enter into the other two habits that we're going to talk about this morning, but the foundational habit is, is rest. So if you were here last week, we talked about Sabbath keeping as kind of this foundational habit, and I encouraged you to make a weekly time where you cease, because that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is ceasing. Uh, it's foundational, right? And, and we think, we tend to think in our culture, oh, uh, Sabbath means just don't work. It means more than don't work, actually. It means cease, and it, it, the, the, the ceasing uh, is intended to create in your mind imagery of making space. In other words, God is saying, look, don't worry about provision. I'm going to provide for you. You make space to receive from me. Make space. That's what Sabbath is. So uh, my encouragement to you is as you develop a Sabbath practice, whether it's a day, a half a day, uh, uh, two hours, whatever it is, as you begin to develop that, I'm going to encourage you to, to make sure that you're making space. And one of the very practical ways we can do this in our own culture is ceasing social media or news or putting your phone away or not looking at emails for one day or d d taking all of those things and really clearing the deck. You know, when we do this thing here called Ancient Paths, it's a trip where you go out into the wilderness and there's a time of solitude, time of fasting, and it's intended to kind of clear the deck so that God can speak to you. Profound things happen. Registrations will be open in a few weeks, all good. But I'll, I'll just tell you, as a guy who's led a few of these trips now, when we say to people, now you're gonna be fasting, you're gonna be not eating from, from X to Y this period, people are like, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm gonna power up, I can do it. Oh, and then we say, by the way, uh, turn in your phone. And people get sweaty and their hearts start to palpitate and they're like, no! Not my phone. Take my food, but pry this phone from my cold, dead hand, right? Like we're afraid to be without that input. I'm saying to you, that's a problem. Like if you can't shut it off, you need to shut it off. Just like if you can't not drink, you need to dry up in January. Same principle. Don't be enslaved by anything. That way you have space to receive from God so that God can transform you. So that's, that's the Sabbath principle, right? Last week we saw part one, making space in our lives through rest is foundational to our ongoing growth and maturity. Today, there's two more realms that rest empowers us to create in our lives so that this ongoing transforming work can happen. So the first habit, habits of rest. Second, but first this morning, habits of receiving. So if we go to the the kind of pyramid here. Let's just leave that up for a second here. Last week we saw rest, Sabbath, solitude, sleep, silence, fasting. Today receiving, foundational to that in the same way that uh, uh, Sabbath was foundational rest, meditation and prayer are foundational to receiving. So we're going to look at these for just a minute. Let me just, you've been here a while uh, at Bethany. If you've been here more than a few times, you know that I encourage you to meditate on Scripture. Joshua 1, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, they all say the same thing. Meditation is a space where we're actively receiving God's revelation. That's a 
definition of meditation. A space where I'm actively receiving God's revelation. So meditation isn't emptying myself. Yes, the decks have been cleared, but the decks are cleared not so that I can sit in vast emptiness. The decks are cleared so that I can receive God's revelation, right? It's a very, very important principle. And then the question becomes, you know, what are we receiving? Well, we're receiving uh, revelation from the living God because all transformation is response to revelation. And so I've got, I have to receive revelation if I'm going to be transformed. And here's the thing to see. Revelation is happening. You have a text you have creation. You have one another. We have each other. In each of those means, text, creation, fellowship, God is revealing. God is revealing. God is revealing. The question isn't, is God revealing? Here's the question always for all of us in the room, am I paying attention? In other words, uh, when Eugene Peterson articulates this in his message translation of the gospel, Jesus would teach parables in my New American Standard version, at the end of a parable, it says this. Are you listening? No, excuse me. In the New American Standard, it says this. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. Eugene Peterson says it this way. Are you listening? And then, I love this, are you really listening? Do you understand what I mean by that? How many have listened without hearing in this room ever? Like you're in a conversation and someone is talking to you and, and you actually are hearing the words but you're not receiving them for whatever reason. Massive distractions or what they're saying is so annoying that you're already formulating a response before fully hearing. Whatever it is, when Jesus says, are you listening, really listening, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm calling you to a life of kind of ongoing perpetual receptivity because it's that receptivity that will you know fill your cup with God's revelation so that you are then equipped for the third part of the pyramid which is which is giving so rest and receiving and receiving requires meditation and meditation requires scripture Create, uh, fellowship and creation. We're, we're open to receive from all three of those. Now, I just want to talk for a moment here before we, move, before we move on about how to incorporate Scripture into meditation. And uh, as you may or may not know, a couple of years ago, Abby Odio, uh, former uh, teaching pastor here with me at Bethany, uh, and Abigail Platter as an illustrator, and myself as an author, we wrote a book together called Forest Faith, which is kind of based on St. Patrick's prayer, which says this, um, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ to my right, Christ to my left. Christ, I'm, in other words, St. Patrick is saying, I'm saturated with Christ. So, forced faith is kind of this articulation of a saturation prayer developed as I spent uh, some COVID time walking every day through the forest and realize that these trees are always receiving from above, are always rooted below, are always interconnected, and are always so full of life that they're blessing others. And so I begin to pray with the trees in a sense, Christ above me, I'm receiving. Christ beneath me, I'm rooted. Christ around me, I'm connected. Christ within me, I'm called. 
Christ above me, I'm receiving. Why? James 1.17. Don't you know, says James, every good and perfect gift comes from above. What are you receiving every day from God? Too much to count. But you can begin in this meditation time as you say, you know, Christ above me, I'm receiving. I can pause and I can thank God for the gifts that God brings to mind in that moment. I'm receiving the gift of health. I'm receiving the gift of, of this very breath, the gift of my calling, the gift of fellowship, the gift of beauty, the gift of good coffee, whatever is that gift. You give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Christ above me, I'm receiving, right? Christ beneath me, I'm rooted. And this is where all these identity truths come into play. I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm complete in Christ. I'm loved. I'm filled. I'm called, right? God will never leave me or forsake me. When I'm, when I'm anxious, I appropriate uh, the, 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 the peace of Christ because he says, I am your peace. When I'm feeling lonely, I appropriate the reality that I'm adopted, that, that, that Christ is always with me, that I'm, that I'm brought into that family unconditionally, eternally, irrevocably. Identity truths begin to ground us in this kind of quiet confidence that we're loved unconditionally. And then we can stop performing. So Christ above me, I'm receiving. Christ beneath me, I'm rooted. Christ around me, I'm connected, means I'm able to give and receive in relationship. And I begin to pray when I say, Christ around me, I'm connected. I may just pause for a few breaths and allow God to bring to mind people in my life and I can offer a prayer of blessing to, to those people. Does that make sense? So Christ around me, I'm connected, and then I just pause. And I, and I may pray for Kindy, or I may pray for Tyler, or I, I may pray for Megan, or I may pray for, for uh, my friend Skip. It doesn't matter. But God is speaking to me and reminding me that I don't just receive Christ from the text, but Christ is in you. And I'm receiving Christ from you as well, right? And then, of course, Christ within me, I'm called, is, is my reminder that God has given me gifts to, to freely share. And, and this is rooted in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5. So, so God's, God's light is in you, and now you are called to display that light. So again, if we begin with rest and then we develop habits of receiving around uh, meditation and, and prayer, we're now receiving through Bible reading, through the text, we're receiving through fellowship, and we're, we're receiving through paying attention in creation our cup is fuller and fuller and fuller. But again, now, as we come to the last point here, remember, all transformation is what? Uh, it's response to revelation. So transformation is not just revelation. I can't just continually receive, receive, receive. What did Jesus say? Freely you have received, therefore, what? Freely give. In other words, I've given to you resources. Now I'm calling you to, to, to a life of giving, right? So we're going to get into this giving in just a moment. But let me just reiterate here. There's the text 
and there's fellowship and creation. Those are the means by which we're receiving. The text, of course, we've already articulated, so important that we understand that uh, God is calling us, Colossians uh, 3.16, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another with wisdom and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I'm receiving from the text. Whatever is your textual habit, my prayer is that you develop a habit. For me, it's so easy in the morning to, uh, when I wake up and, and have my coffee, as I shared last week, as soon as I begin to smell the coffee, it's, I know it's time to hear from God. And then I just type into my little browser, dailygospel.org, and bam, there it is for me anyway, a reading for that day. And I read, and then I, I meditate on that particular thing, and then, I, and then I write a bit in my journal perhaps, and then I go into this moment of meditation. Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ around me, Christ within me, for about 10 minutes. But that's how I receive the text. We all need to do that in some way. Not my way necessarily, but in some way, we have to find a way to, to say this is my habit of receiving text. Not so that I get the text, but so that I come to Christ. Because the point is not to become a Bible scholar or a Bible expert. The point is to encounter Christ. So then, of course, I'm receiving Christ in fellowship. Colossians 3, uh, 12 through 14 speaks of the necessity of you know, being patient with one another and loving one another because our hearts are knitted together and our calling is to display this, this beautiful interdependency in the same way that if you read The Hidden Life of Trees, you know that within the forest, the trees are all connected and are sharing resources with one another. We are receiving life, not just from the text, which points us to Christ, but we're receiving life from one another. This, I'll just, I'll just pause and say, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. I love that my capacity to receive Christ doesn't just come from hiding away somewhere and reading a Bible, but that my capacity to receive Christ comes from beautiful encounters, right? I remember being on a train years ago in Europe heading uh, to uh, Austria from Germany. And I sat down and I had a Bible uh, and I'm reading my Bible for whatever reason, I don't remember. And uh, a woman, I was probably in my 40s at the time and a woman in her 70s, she comes by and says with a German accent, uh, now what's a young man doing on a train headed for Austria reading an English Bible? That, that, was, that was a question to me because she saw my Bible and saw it was in English. And I said, well, I'll tell you if you'd like to sit down. And then she sat down and for the next two and a half hours, we enjoyed fellowship as I listened to this German woman's story of uh, growing up under the shadows of Nazism in World War II and how that shaped her faith. And it was just such a profound moment of being able to receive Christ by closing my Bible. Does that make sense? I closed my Bible because now Christ is here. Not just in the Bible, but Christ is here. This is the profound mystery to which we're called. As many of you know, we're taking a survey within our community here uh, to assess the health of Bethany and how we're all doing. And I would say collectively, 
though there are individual outliers in every category. Collectively, we're doing well financially. Collectively, we're doing well in our body. Where we feel the greatest sense of need is right here, the point of fellowship, the point of fellowship. And can I just say to you then, there are so many ways to find fellowship within our community. All one need do is take a step, right? Uh, and so find, a, find a, a, a class to join, find a small group to join, find a, a, a ministry to get involved with in, in some way. And then in that setting, just as when you come to the Bible, you're looking for Christ, in that setting, you're looking for Christ in fellowship. And this becomes beautiful and a, and a, and a joyous adventure. And then finally, Christ in creation, of course, uh, in Job, I think we get this sense that part of the reason God has given us creation is to create in us a sense of proportionality regarding our small lives, right? In Job 38 and 39, God is responding to Job and he asks all these rhetorical questions. Did you make the ocean? Can you command the stars to move? Do you understand the intricacy and interdependency in the beauty of creation? Do you see how eternal it is? Do you see how vast it is? Do you see, do you see, can you, can you even ponder infinity? And of course the answer is no, 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 no. But in creation, we find ourselves um, kind of experientially aware that life is short and that, and that our days are numbered and, and yet that we are part of this eternal story of hope that God is writing. So many times when we ran our nonprofit in the mountains and I would be overwhelmed with uh, details or weary from uh, a lot of uh, practical hospitality, I'd go on this little hike up to the top of a place called Sock Mountain and I'd sit there and I would read over and over again. Every time I went there, I would read this out of the Psalms. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are true. And I just remember looking at all these rocks and thinking, man, they've, they've been here they, 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 they've been here uh, since, since before Christ, right? And, and nations come and go. People come and go. Ideologies come and go. Like the rocks, only exponentially more, Christ is what? Forever. And we're in that. So we gain the sense of proportionality. I'm encouraging you to habits in text, fellowship, and creation. And then meditation is where all of these things are received and, and kind of swirl together so that you can become light. And then I'll just finally say, before we move on to the last point, uh, when you develop these habits of text, meditation, fellowship, they're not always rewarding. You, I think you know that already, but I'll just, it's very important to say, uh, I read my Bible and sometimes it's incredible and profound and other times Frankly, it's confusing, and other times it's annoying, and other times it's boring. Keep showing up. Why? Because you keep showing up, that's when good things happen. I'll show you one picture right now from an experience that I had this week. Um, this is uh, on a little ski tour that I did all by myself uh, on, I believe it was Tuesday morning or so. And at my house, it was completely foggy, completely foggy. And yet, I've made a New Year's resolution. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my heart to beat above 130 three times a week. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And so I go, it's foggy. It's gonna be a miserable trip. Who cares? I'm gonna put on my skins and go. 
And as I went, I ended up above the clouds and there was fresh snow, clear blue sky. My dog was in heaven, as you can see there. And, And I thought, I remember just sitting at the top eating a, you know, cliff bar going, wow, I didn't even want to go. I didn't even want to go. But I went and that happened. Now, here's the danger in this illustration. You're like this, perfect. I'll just go and it'll always be sunny. No, it won't. I went yesterday and it turned from fog to rain. Whatever. Go again. Go again. Go again. Show up in the text. Show up in fellowship show up in creation, God is changing you. Really important. So, habits of receiving. And and then the point of habits of receiving is to so fill our cup that we are then empowered to what? Finally give, which is the top of the pyramid, right? So if we look at the top, giving really is like summarized in in worship, right? Because uh, worship is our response to what we have received. And there are many ways that we offer worship, but of course in Romans chapter 12, we're told to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and then we're told that this is your expression of worship as you offer your body. Now, I'm just gonna summarize here. Worship, though it's a much deeper subject than this, two habits can give you a life of worship, not just a Sunday one hour of worship. Two habits give you a life of worship. What are they? Habits of gratitude, habits of generosity. If you have gratitude and generosity, then you begin to be a person of worship, right? Paul says in Romans 1, for example, regarding gratitude, that it's our failure on the gratitude front that's at the core of all of our problems, right? In other words, the, the, the central judgment of the Bible is though I revealed, they did not give thanks. Romans 1, 19 through 23. And so I'm just going to encourage you to find ways of expressing gratitude. So I'm paying attention to what I'm receiving, and then I'm expressing gratitude. Prayers at meals can be that. Uh, Journaling can easily be that. And giving thanks in a journal, writing observations. And of course, gathered worship, such as we're doing right now, and singing songs of praise are a means of expressing gratitude. And directing gratitude toward people, giving, giving words of encouragement and thanks. So gratitude is a form of worship. And then uh, generosity is a form of worship, right? And generosity means financial generosity, as we, as we share out of the resources that God has given us so that we can be a blessing to the world, so that the, the light of Christ can shine. But it's more than generosity. It's also hospitality. It's opening our lives. It's opening our homes. And it's also using your gifts, right? And, and when I'm using my gifts, God will propel me into uh, uh, the display and activity of justice and mercy and generosity and empowerment. But each one of us has gifts to use. So I'm called to gratitude and I'm called to generosity and that's how uh, we, we end up worshiping, right? So again, to summarize, rest makes space. What are your habits of rest? Sabbath, putting your phone in the closet for a day, a moment of solitude, a walk around the lake alone sometimes. But I would encourage you to develop habits 
of, 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 of rest to clear the decks. And then um, receiving through text, uh, through fellowship, through creation, and then that, that receptivity is, is blended together and takes root as we meditate. And uh, the book, Forest Faith, which is available out there today uh, with a little donation, you can take it home and read it. That meditation, Christ above me, beneath me, around me, within me, has become for me a daily practice for over a year now. And I can't commend it to you highly enough to become rooted and grounded in Christ. And then um, finally, we respond to Revelation uh, with, with giving, right? Through gratitude, giving gratitude back to God, and through generosity, sharing the gifts that we've freely been given. As we live these principles, we become people of hope in the world. Uh, I begin by lighting a match. I'll just remind you that Jesus said it, you are the light of the world. He didn't tell you to become the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. For your light then, he says, so because you are light, let it shine. For your light to shine, let me just say it this way. You're the wood that is this match. You are, all, each one of us, right? And then the habits that we develop become the fuel for the light to shine. The whole time I had an office at Bethany Community Church, I had a little sign on the door that said this. Instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. That's such a beautiful, for me, poignant and powerful reminder, particularly for the time in which we live. Because we live in a world of people so mad, so afraid, so polarized, so angry, so divided. And here's Jesus. Whatever, you're still the light of the world. Let your light shine. How does the light shine? You let the fuel build up and then the circumstances of your life will propel you out of the world as a giver and you will be a blessing and life will be the adventure God intended it to be. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you've called us to be light in the midst of darkness, hope in the midst of despair, love in the midst of hate, confidence and courage in the midst of fear, humility in the midst of arrogance, honesty in the midst of deceit and lies. But we can't fabricate that. That's a work only you can do as you're given freedom to express your life through us. So our prayer, Father, is that you would give each of us, even in these moments today, clear next steps that we might take, that we might develop habits so that we can be the people of hope you desire us to be in this world. And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits as we follow you. Praying in Christ's name, amen.